Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I believe that our children need to get back and be physically together. What that's going to look like, we don't know at this point. Um, And so you want to talk to the kids about that a little bit. I mean, you don't really want to give them specifics because that can really promote some anxiety. You want to wait until your school actually gives you those specifics. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming Today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. Momming today with Dr. Nicole Sapphire about kids' mental health and camp and school while we're at it. Dr. Sapphire, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Such an important You know, topic. yeah, as we're uh, still sort of in, in lockdown, what, what have you noticed about your children, other children in general, about, you know, how they're reacting to all of this? Well, so I have three boys at home. They range from ages five to 20. So I have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a 20-year-old, and they all are dealing with a little bit differently. I think it just depends on what phase in life they are. And from what I'm seeing personally and what I know that my friends are also seeing, it's the younger kids that are struggling a lot more. You know, the older kids, um, adolescents, pre-adolescents, they're really good at the digital connectivity. They have always been FaceTiming and doing all of these apps I've never even heard of. So their, you know, ability to stay connected, it hasn't changed so much because they were doing this well before lockdown started. But the younger kids, specifically my kindergartner, really struggling. I mean, the ability to Zoom and FaceTime, I mean, that's kind of lost on them. You know, they really need that um, in-person interaction. And, you know, and that just not being in school, the biggest issue I have is, you know, they go to school for fundamental education. Yes, of course, learn their numbers and how to read, blah, blah, blah. But those little guys are also going there for extremely important stuff like conflict resolution and develop socialization skills and just building relationships. And that's what they're missing right now. Have you noticed um, you might have, we've only organized one play date so far, but my children are young, four and two, but the amount of anxiety that my friend, an adult brought to this play date, and I noticed how that wore off on her child and then how I responded to make them feel safer to keep my children socially distanced from them. I felt like I was making my kids very nervous. And I, I said to myself, I just, I don't want to do this again. Can you talk about that a little bit, how as parents we can welcome a safe space, yet a distant space with our kids as we start to do more stuff this summer? Well, absolutely. So uh, just this week, there are results published from surveys in China and Italy 
um, talking about depression and anxiety in children specifically, and it showed up to 71% of children reported feelings of anxiety, including difficulty breathing. And what they found was those children that were reporting those feelings were directly correlated to household adult members who also report high levels of anxiety and those that have elderly uh, people at home with them. So it is our job as parents to be transparent with our children, explain to them what's going on. But just like we want to keep them safe from the virus, we need to keep them mentally safe from the virus as well. Because yes, they may be physically healthy by these stay-at-home orders, but if they're not mentally healthy, then this was all for nothing. So we as adults, I actually, you know, in my book, which came out during lockdown with all bookstores <laughs> closed, in my book, I actually have an entire chapter talking about um, mental health and specifically how adults can actually, um, we, we transpose some of our mental health issues onto our children and we're actually creating these generations of overly anxious children. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, the stuff that I went into in there is correlating perfectly with what's going on right now. Now, I can tell you my little kindergartner, his best friend, also five years old, will just turn six, he has ha been having severe anxiety. And that is because his mother is severely anxious, just like you were mentioning, and because her mother is at home with them and she's immunocompromised. So all of the anxiety has now channeled into this tiny little five-year-old boy, and he actually fell and broke his clavicle during lockdown. And after he fell, because he had that moment of feeling pain and not being able to breathe, he has gone into a massive downward spiral full of anxiety attacks constantly. And so he's obviously been seeing doctors and stuff. But my point is, it is, it is our behaviors that are affecting our children and it is hurting them. So I have been actually having playdates with my kids. Uh, very selective people. Uh, you know, I know... You want to make sure that the people you're spending time with have, are being responsible. So you need to be selective with it. All of the playdates are taking place outdoors. You know, I have yet to allow people to come into my home. It's a little bit of my safe space right now. Um, but we know viral transmissibility is extremely low outdoors, especially if you are an asymptomatic person. So I have kids playing, I have them swimming, they're well aware that they sh can't be touching each other, they're not sharing bathrooms. If they're playing with anything, I wipe it down uh, several times throughout the play date. But that social connectivity is so important for their development. So I implore you, as the adults, we have to be smart about how we can get these kids together. Okay, so play dates are safe if they're supervised and they're outside. What about wearing masks? I personally do not love the idea of my children wearing masks, especially if they're outdoors. If we were going indoor somewhere, I would indoor somewhere out in public, I'd say yes, let's wear a mask right now because that's what the recommendation is. However, during play dates, outdoors while the kids are running and sweating and breathing heavily, I do, I personally do not recommend masks. Um, because you have to encourage them, give some sort of distance between the children. Now, that's hard to do with your two and three-year-old kiddos. 
So that's why you have to come up with activities. You as the parent need to devise, what can I do to ensure that they're going to safely socially distance? So what I did in the very beginning was I would actually set up the backyard like an obstacle course. So my kids (laughs) knew that one side was for them and the other side was for the other kids. And they didn't. And we did. We do water balloon fights. And I put something in the center that's essentially like an invisible line, like you guys can't pass this invisible line. I mean, we have to be creative as the adults in the situation. And I am certain if you look on Pinterest or Google, you're going to find creative ways that people are coming up with. Or good old fashioned bike riding. Um, Okay, are pools safe? If you have a pool in your backyard, would it be considered safe to have some friends over to go in the pool together and or to go to a water park if that water park was limited, uh, limiting capacity? Well, outdoor pools, absolutely safe. One, you have chlorine in there and chlorine will kill bacteria and viruses. That's the whole purpose of it. Um, However, you don't want to be in a very crowded pool, not because the water is going to be infected, but because you still want to maintain distance from other people. So if you're going into a public area or a public pool, the big thing is using that public bathroom and decreasing the amount of indoor areas that you're congregating. You know, consider going into the pool when it's not so busy out during the day. But if it's your own private pool in the backyard, as long as you still continue to keep a few feet between people, you're okay. I have a question about hotels, but more momming today. We'll be back right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're back on We're Momming today with Dr. Nicole Sapphire, and we were talking about pools outside, they're safe, if they're not crowded. But what about hotels? A lot of people, myself included, said, okay, let's rent a house. Went on Airbnb. Virtually nothing is available in terms of what I'm looking for because I think everybody's doing the same thing. But what are your recommendations about staying in a hotel? Well, stay, we, again, we have to stop looking at these specifics and look at the, everything as a whole. We have so much more information about this virus now than we did two months ago. So what do we know about this virus? Your best chances of getting it are if you're in a small indoor space with someone who's actively sick. So if you're talking about going to a hotel, that's an indoor space. And the, the small indoor spaces within hotels are elevators. And you have a lot of door handles and elevator buttons that various people are going to be touching. So, yes, we know that the virus can actually live on inanimate objects like a door handle. But if you touch that door handle, the virus will not seep through your skin. The way for you to get it is to touch that door handle and then stick your hand in your mouth or your nose or rub your eyes. So if we're practicing good hand hygiene, meaning constantly washing our hands, carrying hand sanitizer with us, considering wearing gloves, if that's something you prefer to do, that's how you're going to reduce your risk of infection. You use the stairs rather than the elevator. Bring your own sanitizing wipes. I know that a lot of hotels right now are already doing various things in terms of uh, making their consumers feel safe, meaning they're actually 
They're not coming into the rooms. They're not even cleaning the rooms while you're staying. Like while you stay there, that's your room, kind of like your house. And they do deep antiseptic cleanings in between each guest. I mean, I can tell you, everyone is trying to do their part to keep people safe, but you know, largely because they need those consumers to come back. So it's on them to prove to you how they're going to keep you safe. So if you're looking to stay at a hotel, you call them up and say, what are you going to do to keep me safe? And I guarantee they'll have an answer for you. All right. I like this. I like this. The other question on, I think, every parent's mind is, okay, maybe the kids are going to camp. Maybe they're not. We can kind of deal with that. But what about September or late August when school starts? Well, what should we be telling our kids, though? Because we know it might not start in some places or schools might open and then have to close. How do we deal with that as we as we raise our children? Well, great question. One that we don't have a lot of answers to right now. I think I saw something that said 94 percent of school district superintendents don't have a solid plan on what they're going to be doing in the fall. So we can't really tell our kids what's going to happen. We can, again, just continue to be openly transparent with our children and say, well, you know, we are hoping that school's going to be normal again come the fall, because I personally am hoping that very much. I believe that our children need to get back and be physically together. What that's going to look like, we don't know at this point. I think that you're going to see some staggered classes. You're going to have less Um, inner class integration, less cafeteria time, less playground mixing. Um, And so you want to talk to the kids about that a little bit. I mean, you don't really want to give them specifics because that can really promote some anxiety because you want to wait until your school actually gives you those specifics because you don't want to say to your kids, well, you're probably going to be wearing a mask while you're at school if that may upset them. And then your school comes out and says there aren't going to be masks. And all of a sudden you've just given your child unnecessary anxiety. So I wouldn't talk about specifics with the kids until we have them from each individual school. But I would just say to them, you know, we have big hopes that We're going to go back in the fall and get to school and, you know, we'll probably still be doing some distance learning, but hopefully we'll be able to see some of our friends. Um, But the bottom line is that we're dedicated to education and whatever is going to happen. It's just to keep us all safe. And again, as the parent, you need to remember that if you just think of how out of control we all feel right now. Just imagine what that feels like to a child, because although we feel like things are out of our control, we have a lot more control of our lives than these children do. You know, do you think children or have you noticed children or even your kids a little nervous about potentially going back to school? Sure, absolutely. So in New Jersey, we just started um, outside dining this week and I was one of the first to sign up. So we went out to eat. Um, last night. And my seven-year-old was apprehensive about going out to eat. I said, we're going to a restaurant. And he's like, why would we do that? I'm like, because that's what normal people do. Don't you remember? We used to do this a lot. (laughs) And he's like, yeah. And he was very apprehensive about it. And then when we got there, he was a little slow to walk in. But then he saw all the changes that had been made. He saw that the hostesses were wearing masks and gloves and there was contactless menus. You just take your phone and you scan the barcode and then the menu pops up on your phone and the waiter stands about two feet away from you wearing a mask the entire time. I mean, he recognized immediately some of the safety precautions that were being um, 
undertaken and he got much more comfortable. But I will right. say that some kids are not able to c- overcome that anxiety as well, but it is important to expose them to little pieces of it so that it isn't so bad come the fall when, you know, they may have that separation anxiety going back to school. How did you feel as all of that was going down? As you saw your seven-year-old apprehensive about doing what used to be a very normal thing, going going to a restaurant, how did, how did that make you feel? Because I, I've noticed certain things with my daughter where she's not a nervous person in general, but I, I noticed a sense of apprehension and it, it breaks my heart because... I say, what what did I do wrong or how do I fix this? And what am I creating in, in this process as we're all trying to be cautious? Well, that is so something a mother would do, isn't it? To say, what did I do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, we are all in this together right now. And there is no right or wrong answer to how to handle things. But for me, I felt sad, very sad that he was concerned about just going out to a restaurant, despite me telling him, well, we're going to be sitting outside, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It is with an utmost urgency for me to give them some sense of normalcy. I think being around other people is crucial. And therefore, you have to be smart about it. And you have to find ways to be responsible but also getting your kids back out again, or else you all you're going to be doing is really building this social stigma. And that is a hindrance on childhood development. And so for me, I will continue to do outdoor play dates and I will continue to go out to eat. Um, I'm not going to say often, but somewhat regularly, because I think it is important for our children. Um, what signs can, you know, if you're, if you're sitting home listening and you're saying, oh, wow, my, my kid's doing so well with all of this, what are some signs that we could be noticing that we're not necessarily noticing in terms of how our children are reacting to everything going on. Sure. I mean, it's not, most children aren't going to walk up to you and say, Hey mom, you know, I think I'm feeling a little anxiety today, or, you know, I feel like my depression level is rising. You know, if they do the Bravo to them, but the things that I notice specifically in my kids, um, sometimes it'll, it'll go from just being, quiet, a bit withdrawn, not wanting to do the things that, you know, they usually would have enjoyed if they started out lockdown Zooming and talking to their friends a lot. And then all of a sudden they just don't want to do it anymore. You want to have the conversation like, well, what changed? Why don't you want to do that? Um, I think a lot of times writing in journals, if you can get your kids to do that's a really good idea, a good way of getting some of their inner thoughts out or even drawing pictures and just see what they draw. You can even ask them to draw what they feel inside. And just by looking at the colors they use, the colors a lot of time can translate to how they're feeling. Sometimes I notice my kids will have pressured speech if I feel they're a little anxious about something. You know, if you find them crying a bit more, not sleeping as well, wanting to be closer to you. I mean, it's wonderful that these kids are wanting to snuggle with you and have these movie nights. But are they snuggling with you because you're just home more or are they snuggling with you because they physically need you next to them for them to feel safe themselves? And these are just some of the things you kind of want to keep an eye on. Um, It's not to say it's bad, and certainly it doesn't mean that kids need to rush off to a psychiatrist and be put on a medication at all. The truth is just talking about certain things, talking about these fears and these anxieties can really do a lot because this is all situational right now, which we are blessed that this will be a thing of the past at some point. 
So we just have to do our best to get ourselves and our children through this situational um, circumstance. Go back to something you had just said. Ask your kids to draw a picture and, and notice the colors that they use. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what are happy colors? What colors should we be aware of if we notice they're using certain colors? So it's interesting and it can vary, of course. It's very subjective. But you start, you know, um, usually like a yellow and oranges are associated. Yellow, oranges and greens are a little bit more associated with happiness. Um, Purples, the darker oranges, the reds sometimes you see when kids have some anger. Um, And then, you know, the patterns of drawing, if you just see them going back and forth violently, not necessarily because they're one and that's the only way that they color. But if you see the way that they're drawing, if it seems with like force, there can be anger there. Um, just the uh, the darker colors. Um, sometimes they'll, if they're drawing a family and they'll put like one person far on the outside, Sometimes that can be a a low-lying symbol of just a depression or feeling excluded or isolated. You know, these are, there are articles upon articles written by people far more qualified than myself on this. And so since we all have the internet at our fingertips, I implore you to really look into it, especially for your kids who are less verbal and can express themselves in pictures. This has been fascinating and eye-opening for me, this conversation with you. I feel like every time I talk to you, and maybe it's because not only you're a doctor, but you're a mom of three, you're going through this. Um, it's it's an honest conversation. And I, I always take something away. And then not only do I apply it in my daily life, I actually share it with some friends. I'm like, oh, so try this. Oh. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you for joining us on We're Momming today. And I hope to see you. We're both in New Jersey. Maybe we can do an outside meetup. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Sapphire. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.